you talk to you know an app in this case ChatGPT on your phone, you show it what you're seeing, and it gives you answers. No more talking to Siri and say, "How do I do this?" and it gives you links, and you have to click on them, read them, see images. <clears throat> And it might be not related based on who did right. SEO optimization. Whereas you can ask a chat, a chat bot and the chat bot can tell you exactly what you need to do. So that's the conversational web. And it's happening right now. We can mm-hmm. see it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Hussein Halak. Hussein is a seasoned entrepreneur, prolific advisor, and thought leader in the tech space with a career spanning over 25 years. He is the founder and CEO of Next Centrum, a leading provider of business education and emerging tech, and the company behind Momentable that we're going to focus on today, a discovery platform for art and culture. And he's developed over 20 startups, owning extensive expertise and experience. In his previous role as evangelist and general manager at Launch Academy, he mentored and trained hundreds of entrepreneurs, helping it become one of North America's premier tech incubators with over 6,500 founders. 500 startups raising more than 1 billion. It's incredible. And he's got a ton of other successful ventures like Creative Arab, the world's first and largest marketplace for Middle Eastern. And we're going to get all to this and his extensive knowledge he's going to share. Let's get to it. Hussein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. You're very welcome. And a lot of folks say, hey, could you send me just that recording so I could play it to my friends and family and they'll have a better idea of what I do for a living? Like you just send me that clip and I could just like send it in my holiday cards yeah. and birthday cards and, and all that. Well, first and foremost, welcome to the show. Uh, joining us from the great Pacific Northwest in the what I hear is a beautiful city of Vancouver. I got to get myself out there soon. How's, how's, your, how's your morning going, your early morning? The morning is great. I'm having my yerba mette tea. So there it is. <laughs> I love the tea. I save my tea for the afternoon. I start with coffee. And if I feel the need, I can't get off the coffee, man. I yeah. I. I I, I've been on this nutrition kick with uh, Athletic Greens in the morning, which is good because I don't have my first cup of coffee till about an well, hour and a half, two I hours later. I use Athletic later. Greens as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it's, uh, anyway, we, 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 we digress here. But I mean, I'm going to go off script for a moment here. I think it's pretty cool what you told me before. Tomorrow you're leaving for Japan with your, with your 18-year-old son. Was this trip his idea or your idea? Oh, definitely his idea. He's been obsessed with Japan for quite some time right now. And um, it's part of uh, my, I think, maturity, if you wish. Like for the longest time, you know, you're entrepreneur, all you focus on is building your startup, making it work. And it's kind of, uh, it's an addictive mm-hmm. kind of work. If you actually love what you do, the days kind of mush into each other. So here I am with my 18-year-old son. I can't believe, like, it, he, he was a kid uh, and we were playing around and, and goofing around, you know, a Goes few faster, years right? back. And especially those last few years, they grow really fast. So I thought before he kind of venture into university and explores adulthood on his own, it's good to set up uh, that relationship in a in a good way. Uh, now I don't know if we're stuck in a room, we're gonna kind of be at each other's uh, next, but we have a good relationship. And I thought it would be nice to kind of walk in his shoes and see the stuff that he's passionate about. 
Um, and uh, he's passionate about Japan, the art, the culture there. And I love art and culture, and I've never been there. So, okay, mm. fine. That's, that sounds like a great idea. He wanted to That's go on his own. To, <laughs> but I said, I won't let you go on, on to a completely strange country at 18 and it's your first travel. I'm going with you, at least for the first part. And that's how I, it en- we ended up going. I, lo- I absolutely love it. And it's going to be an adventure. Um, I've only passed through Japan on a, on a stopover. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't spend too much time there. And I totally regret that. Um, but it's definitely back on the list. So that's, so that's awesome. And I think that's admirable. And we talk a lot about this entrepreneur mindset we'll get to. And you, you really hit on something that, listen, there's, there's a difference between being a career lifetime entrepreneur and you know, someone working a, a more traditional nine to five and you have your, your set vacation time with your family. As an entrepreneur, we have to be conscious, especially as parents, to make that time, to find that time. Because our PTO, our scheduled time off, it's, it's up to us. And sometimes we just keep on working. We keep on trucking. I know for me, one of the things that I try to do is my, my wife's an attorney and, and she has vacation time and she sets it. I, I, I model my, her vacation time is my vacation time. Right, we're gonna we're gonna be taking off together. But what advice would you give other maybe maybe single solo entrepreneurs out there um, to be more mindful of their recharging and refreshing time? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I've I've experienced burnout before, and I've seen a ton of entrepreneurs experience burnout. I think the idea of working on something that you love and being obsessed with getting somewhere is fascinating. It's it's a great drive. Uh, however. Once you, there's a lot of times where, as I said, like days and nights kind of mush into each other and you don't sense it. And since, as you said, you Mm -hmm. own your own time, the biggest challenge is uh, if you don't set, now when you're working, you have a weekend, you have, but Mm -hmm. when you're working is like, I just need to finish this website, for example. And then you pull an all-nighter or let's say throughout the weekend. And what ends up happening is you didn't feel it because you got the result that you want, Mm -hmm. but three, four days have passed. And for others, especially let's say your family, they have not seen you, experienced you, or had, you know, you didn't have a chance. You already is like, oh, you, it's for you, it's kind of split second. For them, it's been three days or seven, you know, or a week. They haven't seen you. So I think uh, one of the things that I realized is first of all, talk to the people around you, your friends and your family. And it's an amazing time to recharge. The, um, the kind of ideas and the kind of energy you bring back to work. Um, is all worth it to stop, connect with people, you know, and go back to to what you're doing. I think it's highly valuable. And also that time, especially with kids and, and family, for me at least, is irreplaceable. Uh, I've, yeah, I've lost a lot of time when he was he was a baby, and it's you can't you can't take that back. The time has passed. Whereas work, I mean, you can always, you always, there's always another problem to solve. <laughs> there's always another client to land. There's, there's always something to do with work. Um, I think with family, there's the time is is irreplaceable, and I think as much as you can, you can take that time, take it, because at the end of the day, I I thought asked myself, at the end of the day, what will I regret the most? Mm-hmm. And uh, having built several companies. Uh, every every time I built one, it's, it sounds like it's the one that's going to change the world and it's the one that right. will change my life. And it's a great feeling to have. At the end of the day, it's just one of the things that, I, that I'm doing. Whereas I have one family, let's say I have limited amount of friends. These are irreplaceable. So I think setting value or, put, or acknowledging where value is in life is crucially important for everyone, not just entrepreneurs. Tremendous. Um, I want to hit the rewind button for a moment here. And uh, if you're looking back at your life and maybe even through the lens of your son, you know, when, when was that moment yet you really knew that that entrepreneurial spirit was 
was strong with you and you were going to follow down this path? I, I would remember since the first job that I got. So I got my first job because I needed the money and, um, and I wanted to express my artistic talent. The first job actually didn't pay me. The guy hired me for a month and <laughs> didn't pay me. So my experience was like, oh, <laughs> I had a good faith. Yeah. So I, it stayed with me, actually. So I never, never, never want to, let's say, leave anyone not paid. I actually mm. sometimes, even if somebody delivered like kind of not a very good job, at least from my side, I was like, okay, I deliver on my commitment. So that stayed with me. But throughout life, I, I, I seeked work at the beginning, not understanding what entrepreneurship is. I just knew mm. that I wanted to do something and I went and did it. And I did it throughout university to kind of put myself through university. But by the time I graduated, I couldn't just imagine myself working at, with, with someone. Uh, every time I get a job, I'm uh, disagreement with the like with the direction. I think mm-hmm. I know better. Like we should go down that direction. So it wasn't that I, I I'm a great employee actually, but just I feel that if I'm in control and the direction, I get to experiment more. I get to kind of enjoy more. So it just and and I can't take take these ideas out of my head. It's like I have to do something. So that's that's kind of the drive. But I put a name on it in around 2004 when I learned what the word entrepreneur meant. Because in Arabic, I grew up in Damascus, Syria. There wasn't a word of for entrepreneur. What, so what, what, what do they call it? I mean, there's so many people that are independent, like shop owners, business yeah. owners. Like, what does small business translate to, right? Uh, right, like before entrepreneur yeah, is a small ahead. business owner, and it still is. I mean, I consider myself an entrepreneur in mindset, but I'm a small mm-hmm. business owner. Yeah, uh, we, we don't. It, it's usually, I mm-hmm. mean, in Syria at that time, we're talking the, the let's say, the late 80s, early 90s. It was more you you either inherited a business it was trade that was what right. it's known like you're you're in trade or you're you're someone who's handy you know like a mechanic or something mm-hmm. uh, so that's and most people inherited that very few people kind of started or when they started they think about i own a business but they don't think of them as entrepreneurial or startup kind of mindset what did what did your dad do in damascus he was a journalist interesting prevented from and- writing <laughs> I, I mean, I was about to say, I mean, we could spend the whole hour just talking about your, your dad's uh, stories uh, during that time, which I mean, not to fast forward. I mean, times now are, are pretty crazy into itself. But what did what did what did what did you learn from your, your dad and your mom um, that you look back on it now? and You're like, damn, that really infused my 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 mindset, and especially around, you know, focused entrepreneurship and, and, and building businesses and brands. Yeah. My dad loved, uh, can put passion into anything that he did, like everywhere he worked. One of the things I respected the heck uh, uh, like out of is that wh- whoever he worked with, people were so impressed and they found him irreplaceable. This kind of shaped my whole vision, uh, mm. my whole view of life is that wherever I want to go, I never want to be replaceable. I want to be irreplaceable. Yep. I want people who work with me to feel that how could we done it without Hussein? Now that can be taken a little bit exaggerated because I put uh, more, you know, work like relentless work into it. So I did get burnout, but that is one of the principles. He was very, very principled with his work. Whatever he said, he will deliver regardless of other people. So that kind of trained me. I call it the million Dude. dollar signature. Uh, what it means is that once I sign a contract with you, it doesn't matter if you pay me a dollar or a million. I'll always deliver as if you paid me a million. I love that. Uh, because it's it's about me, it's not about you. And that's one of the things I learned, from, uh, one of the key things I learned from him. And uh, kind of I was angry. It's like, why you're working, why you're doing still work and those people are not paying you? He said, because I gave my word. And that stuck stuck with me and that's how I live my I, life. 
I yeah, wish more people. I wish. I mean, you know, I, I mean, let's pause on that for a second here. I mean, I can't even tell you us as small business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, I had my first. Um, geez, I can't believe it. You know, I've been in business for six, seven years now. And I had my first um, defaulting on a contract this year where somebody, you know, I'm not going to get into details, but we had a, we had a situation. And I could say wholeheartedly that it was not my fault and, and shit happens and you're going to deal with those type of people in business. And your word is bond. And I wish we would get back to that. I mean, we look at society now and it's like there's no consequences. People say whatever the hell they want in social media and in the press and there's no consequences anymore. We're not holding people to a higher standard. And, and, I, and I truly feel that we need to get back to that, especially in business. I mean, I'm sure you have a million war stories uh, of, 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 of shitty situations, um, and, and, and all that. But like, I feel as an entrepreneur, right? Like you have to take those lumps sometimes. So you know how to handle them and you know yeah. how to react and you know how to make decisions based off of them. You know, is it, is it going to cost me less money to settle this and move on and never have to deal with this person again? Or am I going to put in, you know, the, the time to fight this and take away from my mental energy and take away from, uh, you know, better things, right? Yeah. I can tell you that uh, for for every time that I let's say uh, chose money over let's say principle, uh, it no matter how how much the money is, it ended up kind of mm -hmm. uh, making me not sleep at night, and it ended up following me. And every time I used yep. my money to you know like it's like okay, screw the money, just let's let's end it and and make sure at least we. I can say to others that I've that I've respected my principles and you know delivered on principle that kept me so comfortable and I think the feeling of how you proceed throughout maybe one of the biggest uh, let's say discoveries for me is how you feel as you go through life is probably mm. the most important kind of barometer uh, so if yeah, I'm what do, you, let's say, what do you mean by that yeah let's unpack that yeah. one a little bit that's a good one well, let's say if I'm if I'm in a place, uh, for example, the last job I had before I did this company, uh, and because I moved to Vancouver, I had to take on jobs. I was an entrepreneur for the longest. I lived in Damascus and then Dubai and then Vancouver, moved to Vancouver 10 years ago. And obviously I was starting from zero, so I took on jobs. And um, whenever I was in a job and I felt I am not delivering anymore or you know it became not challenging or there, I feel that I don't belong, I immediately tell the CEO and I and I and I transition out of that job, regardless of what. And I started doing that since 2009 after the mm. kind of the financial crisis, because I saw that there's no guarantees. Like even if you if you hang on to something, the thing can let you go. <laughs> in mm -hmm. the, in the sense, like you can't hang on to something that doesn't belong to you. Kind of. I don't know if if you believe in that, but for uh, me, to what some extent, up, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So I felt uh, in the last job, I felt like, okay, I did everything I could. We quintupled the revenue. They had oversubscribed for investment. And I said, my job is done. The moving forward, you need somebody who manages the success that we achieved. I'm not challenged anymore. So I, I, I said, I'm leaving. And the, and the CEO could not believe it. He said, who offered you more money? I said, I don't have an offer. I just feel that if I stay on, I'm taking money that I don't deserve because I'm not mm. going to be able to deliver at my top notch. It's not challenging for me anymore. I should find another challenge. And that feeling uh, led me to start uh, to go down the road of Momentable, which is something I'm loving right now. And if I haven't taken that decision, I didn't know what's going to happen. But if I haven't taken that decision, and I've taken that decision quite a few times, every time I take it, the the next step is far better. And so I think how you feel, when, it's kind of like being with someone that you don't love. Like they can be great, but if you don't love them, 
you want to be with someone you love. You want to be someone that kind of moves you. And and I think if we go through life in the same kind of uh, barometer, having that as a measurement, it's far better. Hussein, I think there's a lot of parallels, and I never even thought about like in that in that sense, right? There's a lot of parallels between passion and love in personal relationships and business relationships, mm-hmm. right? Are you enabling them? Are you just hanging around because you don't want them to get hurt? Are you, is that what's best for them? Probably not. And that certainly translates into the, the business world. Um, before we talk about uh, your latest ventures, let's let's hit the rewind button. I want to talk about Xena. Um, you acquired within a year. Was it was it built for that? Like, what, what's the story behind that? Um, were yeah. You plan, was, it, was it a business built to be acquired, sold within a year, or that just happened um, based on the success? I didn't know what the word was at the time. It's, it was kind of my first tech company. Uh, we built uh, websites that are game-like. Um, and the first company we got, it's kind of like the Disney of the Middle East. It's called Spacetune. And they loved the work that we did. We built them a website that is more like a game. At the time, it was very complex to do something like this. And the team that I put together, there were like 14 members that never did that before. And I love doing that kind of thing. I never did that before. So we actually made a great job in, within three months. And they said, okay, you're... And I, and I had an offer in Dubai at the time. The, the vice president of the company said, okay, mm. we're, we're, we're taking you in. Now, I knew after that this is called AquaHire. Uh, and they gave yeah. me a, a brilliant job in Dubai at the time, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, but I didn't know what that meant. It's like, yeah, okay, great, better job, now let's what? go in. I didn't know what a startup meant. I didn't know what investment, like I didn't know anything about Yeah, you're figuring it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what ended up happening. We just did a, the, the best job that we could do. And it ended up uh, being that they wanted the whole team because they saw the value and the talent. And- and then, and then because that success, correct me if I'm wrong, you jumped into Creative Arab. Tell everyone a little bit about what that platform is all about. Yeah, I've been fascinated with art since a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. I've been, I draw myself and I, and I write poetry and I write kind of stories as well. So I've been fascinated with art, always found myself in galleries, museums uh, while growing up in Syria. And I thought at the time that the best way to connect the, uh, the world especially the Middle East with the Western world, is to showcase art and culture. Um, and I thought these can build bridges. There was no Arab artist that had a website. I think out of all the Middle East, there was one artist that had a website, in particular the guy that did the fonts, the Arabic fonts from uh, Apple. And uh, I put, uh, at the time, successfully within three years, we put 1,200 artists, uh, Arab artists that weren't online wow. online, and we became the largest website of its kind. Because awesome. there wasn't any website of its kind. Right. Wow. I mean, so that, 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 that hits on a lot of different points, right? And we talk about entrepreneurship where it's passion, cause, goodwill, and profit for good, right? Like yeah. when all those kind of pieces come together, but was that the initial plan or that's just the way it worked because you're doing things the right way? Um, it was actually the best thing that I've done and the worst thing that I've done. <laughs> the reason is uh, by, by that time, I've done several ventures and they were all successful. So since I didn't have any business education, I didn't, I read a ton of books, but mostly books like I, I, I want to do sales. So I'll go read the sales book and apply what, what they have, especially on the internet. I'll mm. go find and, and, and go down that path. But I didn't, at the time, startup culture was just starting. Uh, y Combinator was just starting, I think, mm-hmm. 2005 was this, their first cohort. So something called a startup or startup having, having you know, uh, a model for building something like that was not did not exist so Hmm. i made all the mistakes that later i knew it's their mistakes so while we were successful uh media wise we were in forbes we were in bbc like people were celebrating me as if i'm the person's going to change 
the art, the face of art in the Middle East. Uh, but uh, the prof- we didn't think about the money. So what ended up happening is payment online was was in, almost impossible uh, in in that part of the world. Uh, no, we, nobody wanted to buy art online. So that was a very no. unique idea around 2006. WordPress did not exist at the time, so it was very expensive to build a website like we did. Uh, so none of these things, I, I had no clue. I just do what I wanted to do. So we built it, we launched it, uh, but we couldn't make money from it. So I had to sell it well, off. So we made all those mistakes that I've later taught the entrepreneurs not to make and well, help them not, see the values of education. Right. It's either I earn or I learn, right? It's either <laughs> I'm learning, earning, it, yeah. right? earning or it. earning, I'm learning. And And let's do a little kind of fast forward here for a moment. And we talk about online art and we talk about, you know, let's rewind it to, you know, 2020 and we talk about the the emergence and the, the greater public eye of NFTs and and how they work on in, in Web3. Is that something that, how did that passion and interest come of that intersection between technology and art? Let's talk about your journey into, you know, the Web3 space and online art. Gentlemen across the nation, I have an urgent message for you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your balls to space is now launching them to the Ultrasphere. Introducing the Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra, featuring a new cutting-edge design and next-generation dual-skin-safe blade heads for different shaves. It's pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the brand-new Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code POZCAST, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T. High-tech for low places, that's Manscaped. And I gotta tell you, since I got my hands on this pair of trimmers, my life downstairs has changed. My wife loves it, if you know what I mean. But let me tell you, this has made it so much easier to take care of what I need to do downstairs. You know what? Take it on the go. Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock to avoid any accidental powering on or weird looks in the airport. Guys, check this out. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off when you use the code POSCAST, plus free shipping. I'm telling you, your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Check it out. Thank you for the question. It's great. Um, for me, art has always been the the best way to connect people. If you think, let's say, me uh, me and my wife, we connect over songs that we listen to. Mm. We 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 stop in for our paintings, for example. Like we we spend a lot of our time going to galleries, museums, wherever we go. So it's it's a passion of mine, and I feel a lot of people have that passion. But when I found out that ninety percent of people have never set foot in a gallery or museum, and really? even if they do. Like I went to New York last year. It was my first visit to New York, first visit to the Museum of Modern Art. And the first time I saw Picasso, yeah. Uh, The first time I saw Picasso ever. And I've been in love with Picasso's work since 1992. So 30 years until I saw Picasso. It was incredible. But it took me a lot of money, obviously, to, to get there, let's say, and a journey. And even when I get there, 97% 97% of all art and cultural artifacts sit in storage. So even if you make it to galleries <laughs> and so it's insane. I was like, and all of this history is sitting in storage. Can we just put it out there for people to see in a, in a great way? So that's the, what motivates the work. And I wanted to help artists and museums make money because unfortunately, art and culture are the first things that get slashed in any kind of uh, economic downside, the downturn. And yep. uh, museums were suffering even in the US. I mean, uh, and around the world. So we, I wanted to do something around that. And then when I saw NFTs, they had their 
uh, kind of their rise. I saw them as a solution for artists who want to make money online, but uh, it's it's there's a lot of logistics in selling art online that is physical is. art. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a, it's a tough one. It's funny. My um my friend Jacob is uh one of the curators at Christie's here in New York, and um nice. he posted a video uh about a month ago. He was down in the vault, which showing for the first time all these. He's like, there's a Picasso, here's a Rembrandt, here's a this, here's yeah. a that, and he's pulling them out, and they're in these sliding file drawers, and they're you know protected and everything. And I asked him like, what the heck? He's like, dude. He's like, same thing you say. It's like ninety five percent of the art that museums have is not on display. And one of yeah. his jobs is is making sure there's rotations and curations there. And um, there's a couple of really cool tech. My, my buddy Chris works for a company too. Um, and he's going to kill me for not dropping the name of it right now. But their whole idea is is rotating museums, being able to show art both online and offline and, and getting all mm-hmm. this art that is in storage out to the public and rotating it. Right? Like, of course, the Mona Lisa is in the Louvre and you're going to see it there. There's some anchor pieces that are going to stay there. You know, you go to, you know, the Van Gogh Museum in, uh, in, in Amsterdam and there's going to be pieces that are always going to be there, too. But let's rotate. Let's let's see yeah. some of the new stuff. Um, are we going to I mean, did we screw the pooch here on on, you know, the NFTs? I mean, I personally think that the cartoon art, the, the rug pulls and the scammers really ruined it. I think there's still an mm-hmm. incredible opportunity for their, a resurgence and a rebirth of of this technology in in the right light. What are your thoughts? Uh, to a certain extent, I agree. I think the the main problem with NFT art or AI art is the is attaching art to a word that doesn't mean anything. Which which it's like calling photography that is art uh, camera art. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. There is no camera art. There is either art or no art. So Fair. calling yeah. calling you know board API club art. I don't think so, uh, because it wasn't made as an intention as an art. It was kind of a, a ticket to a club. Uh, so you can obviously, like, you can stick a banana to a wall and call it art. Art can be anything that you want, and and right. we have art opinions about. Yeah, yeah, very subjective. But it, the in, the intention with art is a conversation to provoke something, to start the conversation, to uh, put a point out. But a lot of these things were made just for the sake of profit or community, which is completely fine. The problem is when it was labeled art, and then the the driver, the main driver, became of the NFT kind of world is making money. People were not getting in and buying stuff based on passion, their value, mm-hmm. or or believing that this is something that they love. It's like, oh, I can make money here, which is completely fine if that's what you want. But just don't call it, you know, I'm I'm collecting art. You are basically making an investment, or more likely, actually making a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what you're doing, and that's completely fine. It's your money. You want to do with it. What I have no judgment. But it's when you conflate things, and what ended up happening is NFT is a brilliant technology. It's made to transfer ownership over the over the, the internet. Yeah, let's which separate the technology possible. from the art. Yeah. I mean, I, we talk exactly. about this all the time. Like the 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 possibilities when it comes to decentralized uh, documents, finance, healthcare mm-hmm. records, all the good things about it. Unfortunately, it got the bad rap when they attach all the monkeys and the apes to it. Yeah. And the rug pulls. People, people can't separate. They also can't separate crypto from Web3 or, you know, there's, there's yeah. a whole, you know, we could go down that path. Yeah, we love, uh, still love the technology, still believe, I, sp- I spent like years studying it. In fact, I, I'm two courses down from my master's in digital currencies. So I took that very seriously. And my and first mm. stint at it is to teach people about it because I believe it's so important, just like right now with AI, we take a lot of effort to teach uh, artists to work with, with people and help them learn. It's up to you what you want to do with it. It's kind of like learning a tool set. Uh, but when the tool becomes the primary, which is when mm-hmm. people want to invest, it's the same thing that happened with .com. Any website became worth billion, millions of dollars. 
even though it might be you know shitty or has no 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 great idea or doesn't deliver any great value it's the drive so separating the investment from the actual viability or usefulness of a technology is very important so we do separate and we we still kind of allow for nfts to for transfer of ownership but we don't attach it and say this has value because it's an nft if you want you can buy an artwork digitally mm-hmm. and if you want to turn it into a wallet so that you feel a sense of ownership good for you and the idea behind nfts why we got into it is to support the artists and museums we never jumped in we created our own collection and in fact in our discord one of our earliest messages for we created a project called crypto pharaohs i love the egyptian culture and we built around that and it's a it's it for all intensive purposes, you can say it is an NFT project. However, when people started yeah. to, yeah, and when people kind of jumped in and say to the moon, they immediately on our Discord, like, no, you're buying a product. This will it. never go. It's not that this might go to the moon. It's like, this will never go to the moon. There's no, no value in NFTs. We're, buy, we're creating something interesting. You want to support this project, you're welcome. But please don't buy this as an investment. It's, you will probably so, lose money. It's it's so interesting, too. I mean, I, I fell into that, the the NFT gambling. I mean, I did. I hook, line, and sinker. And against the advice of many, and I, and I took a bath in it, right? I mean, but I'm still holding on to a lot of pieces. And I look at them, and I'm like, I remember why I bought this piece, because I actually like mm. the art. And I have two different sets. I have the ones that I bought for gambling purposes and then there's ones because i supported the artists i'm looking on my wall right now you can't see i have a gabe weiss i have all these legitimate artists that i love that i have their physical and their digital art peter tunney gabe weiss all these other folks that i have out there and there's different ways to look at all right let's talk about momentum tell tell us tell us a little bit more about what you guys have built the purpose behind it the mission yeah, absolutely. So there are there are two trends I think that are very strong right now happening on the internet. The conversational web mm-hmm. and the visual web. The conversational web is to make it simple is what ChatGPT is doing. You talk <laughs> to you talk to uh you know an app in this case ChatGPT on your phone, you show it what you're seeing and it gives you answers. No more talking to Siri and say how do I do this and it gives you links and you have to click on them, read them, see images. <clears throat> And it might be not related based on who did right. SEO optimization. Whereas you can ask a chat, a chat bot and the chat bot can tell you exactly what you need to do. So that's the conversational web. And it's happening right now. We can mm-hmm. see it. What I see as well is the visual web. You know, for, for the longest, we've been experiencing the internet as pages and images and you have to read. What if you can turn that into images that play and the words are read to you? Because that, first of all, is far more usable and you can play it on any screen. And what do everybody have? Almost everybody has a big screen or a TV sitting Mm -hmm. in the heart of there. So what if instead of, you know, when you want to learn about something, instead of going to, uh, you have to have, let's say, uh, go to the computer and open it up and that's where you do it or on your phone, you can just open it on the TV and can play it. And that's the driving factor. So we we believe heavily in the visual web as well. We believe they overlap, obviously. And especially for art. So instead of, you know, right now, a lot of the arts, we have right now around 17,000 artworks on Momentable that are taken from databases, public access databases, uh, Mm. pulled together by some of the greatest institutions like the National uh, uh, Gallery of Art uh, from the U.S., They have a database of 50,000 artworks available for public access, but you have to click on every image. It's far, it's not usable. They did the work of combining and aligning those, archiving them. Interesting. So what we're doing is we're pulling from those and we're showing them in a a way that plays like, like a documentary. Uh, I like to refer to BBC documentaries, you know, when they do on the, on the painting and the painting scrolls 
you know, slowly. So that's actually what we built. We built a software cool. that allows you to go, you can play it on screen and just enjoy it. And the more you click on it, just like with Netflix, the more it shows you, uh, the AI kind of uh, curation shows you more art that you may like. So, and that way you're kind of seeing the art. And uh, if you if you subscribe for different packages, it allows, it reads the description of the art. It can read poetry, it can play music. That is fascinating. That is, fa and then how are you adding tonality and, and feeling and vibe to that? Well, the- <clears throat> Versus the, like an automated, like, like yeah, mechanical absolutely. voice, robot voice. So, so what we're doing is, uh, obviously AI is enhancing. And right now we're just, put in the artwork along with music it's akin to whenever you go to a gallery or a museum and put your headphones on like the listening tour of, the audio tour yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're like kind of you know going through the the artwork and when we when the uh, ai voices become better we will have that in addition to that for artists that are existing artists we allow the artists to have a sample of their voice if they want or to mm. record themselves the voiceover if they want to so we're not leaning into everything AI. We're leaning into its kind of options. You have these tool sets. What do, how do you want to create the, the experience? And for the sake of accessibility and reach, it's impossible kind of for 17,000 artworks that we have right now. We're aiming towards a million artworks by uh, 2024. So to, to kind of have, uh, writ, uh, let's say, uh, commentary written for all of them and, and executed for all of them without having a ton of money. And as we said, articulture doesn't have a ton of money for it. So what we're trying to do is we're seeing first, uh, making it available for everyone. Uh, so we have a free subscription. And then for those who want, let's say, an, uh, an added or expanded experience, for those who subscribe, they will enable with their, with their subscriptions for us to develop this to add multiple layers to it. So that's our hope. And uh, we aim to do it in a mm. way that you know, brings, it, brings it to you a great experience. Uh, Hussein, what's been the biggest challenge uh, building this specific company? Ooh, the multiple pivots we have to, we have to do, uh, as you always do. Uh, when you're building something, you think the market needs something particular. When we started, mm. we started building kind of a Shopify-like NFT store uh, for museums and artists. And what we found <laughs> is that most museums and artists struggle with, first of all, marketing and retaining people. Um, not uh, because is um, every time you have a collection, you have to advertise and promote that collection. So we said, why don't we create a space where people just subscribe to a channel just like you subscribe to Apple TV. And they're, they're or, getting refreshed content. Exactly. Curated. And not only that, yeah. exactly. And you don't have to, you can, uh, the museums sit on enormous amount of, let's say, resources. And as they're sitting in storage, you can actually have the curated experiences remain uh, when the, like like when you release movies in the theaters the experience as long as it's on display it's not available online once it's finished you can make it available online just like with uh, mm -hmm. TVs and also you can give people behind the scenes you know photos and stuff like that stuff right. that Enhanced you can't show exactly and especially for people that don't have access and will never have access to your museum i mean it's it's great to see that a museum let's say in uh, in california for example let's say in la uh, it's a great museum let's say i don't know what i'm thinking let's say the getty museum it's mm -hmm. a great museum uh, I, I definitely want to go there but even i you know have to take time money all of that to do that if someone in let's say syria or I don't know, Europe somewhere or in North America, in North Africa or in Asia. It, this is very far off from most people. 
So how do they experience that? So that's what we want to do is build those bridges so that people who have the means can do it and people uh, who don't have the means can still experience something. I love and it. the museum deliver on their mission of spreading art and culture, education, yeah. and love and passion. That's awesome. And um, I want everyone to check it out. We'll link that up in the show comments after. So I want to, I want to, I want to kind of, as we head to the back half of the interview here, um, a couple of things you brought up in our, in our pre-show prep are, are more personal and specifically working with friends and using entrepreneurship as a personal, you know, development tool. What's it, what's your take on, on, on working with friends? And cause it could be, it could be tricky. I personally, I, it, it's a balance, right? A lot of my yeah. great business relationships are through friends and I'm very mindful because I would, give up that business in a heartbeat versus a friendship. And you got to be careful with that. And reputation gets involved also. But what's, what's, let's talk about, you know, mixing that business and personal from the lens of personal development. Absolutely. I think the number one primary rule is to work with principled people, regardless, friends or not. I think if you work with principled people, you are more likely to anticipate what's going to happen when mm. something, because that's what, what surprises us the most is when let's say shit goes down yeah. and people behave in a way that you didn't expect. Like, let's say I, I let's say, think that someone's going to support me or stand by me and then they split, for example. Like, these are the things that hurt the most. So the first thing is work with principal people. My rule is I love to work with friends uh, or make people that I work with friends. And I, and I mean like as well, principal friends, friends that support each other, that, that kind of, uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, protect your back if you wish mm -hmm. you know and i don't mean a blind loyalty i mean people who will tell you to your face listen you're 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 messing things up and you're not doing the best uh, you want people like that around you and i couldn't think like the people i i have to be my friends which i open my my home to them these are the people i want to have them in my business i don't want people who are strangers in my business that will sell the business at any kind of chance right. of better offer. I want people who have that in a, a strong relationship to the point that they will come tell me to my face, uh, engage with me, uh, support me when I need to, and tell me when I'm wrong. You know, and I think I work with my life partner, and me and her started five companies so far, and it's been the best ever relationship. So, uh, but don't do it if you if you don't have a strong relationship with people because uh, doing business with people will stress. I mean, being around people regularly will stress any relationship because you get to experience all kind of ups and downs. Yeah, it's the, the X person. factors. It's a human. It's a human X factor of, of just being exactly. a human, more fallible. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So for me, I definitely support working with friends. However, what comes first is principled. Then comes yeah, make friends with people. I mean, you saw the latest probably debacle at OpenAI with Sam mm -hmm. Altman. Yeah, what happened he there? Personally, <laughs> it is said that that he personally interviewed everyone in the team and that's why the team was supportive of him. You saw his demeanor probably. So people like him genuinely and I think it's important for people to like the people they work with. I yes, think to an extent, right? Yeah. Like yeah, you have to be able to get the get the get the job done. Let me let me ask let me ask you this question while we're on the topic of hiring, right? You've built in, in companies. What, what's your kind mm -hmm. of formula and method to hiring folks to ensure skill, character, values? I mean, they don't have to be your best friend. Yeah, it's good that if there's a good vibe and a warm. But like, what what are some of your go to questions? Yeah, uh, the first thing I would I would want to find out is how does that person behave under pressure? Uh, what was uh, how is going to happen? Because I know that our our business is going to have ups and downs. 
what are they going to do when they do that? I also make it a little bit difficult at the very beginning in the sense that I'm not that flexible because I want to see how do they deal with. So for example, if they, um, even though I can, uh, let's say I can pay them and I don't recommend this, but this is, so what I do is I say the pay that you asked for, uh, I can do that in three months for this mm-hmm. time. What is it? Let's say, can you, can you start with a little bit lesser than what you, what you mm. want? And the only reason I want to see how do they respond to that? Like, it's okay if they say they can't, but the reason they can't, is it because they feel their sense of value? Or is it because, uh, let's say, uh, money is important for them? Like, I want to see what the conversation is because we're going to be in a situation, especially as a startup. Right, you're lean, you mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes we get, uh, you know, we don't get the investment that we want to get. We we have to take cuts. And I and I definitely support people uh, getting the money that they that they earn and deserve. Of course. This is not but sometimes you just can't. Yeah, just can't. This is not a general rule. But as a startup, I'm very honest with them and say, listen, we're going to be through hard times. Why do you want to work at a startup? Sometimes people want to work at a startup because it sounds illustrious. Yeah, I want to work at a startup. <laughs> that, but they don't. I mean, we can, we so can I go down a rabbit hole of that. It's exactly. Not, like, yeah. Like, let's get rid of that bias right there. Startups are rough and they're tough. And not every startup, like that started when like Google started and everyone's like, I worked, they, they, they equated Google to startup. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it's yeah, not exactly. That cool. It's hard. A startup is not a do. tech company. A startup is a company trying to, it's like a baby trying to find out what it is. And it's like a five-year-old. Every kind of, yeah. every day is something new. Sometimes every <laughs> three hours one. is something new. And mm-hmm. it's very stressful for people who want, let's say, balance or, you know, a, Stability. A three, even yeah. a three months plan. Sometimes it's out the window. Let's say something changes in the market. Last year, a lot of things have changed. Crypto changed. NFT changed. Uh, mm-hmm. AI came up. You have to have. You have to be ready for a lot of change. So the first thing I look for is how do they deal with change, and how adaptable do they want something secure, or do they, and do they have shiny objects in the room mm-hmm. syndrome? It's more like I'm interviewing them as kind of a founder, and mostly the wor- the people I worked with were small teams. You know. F- 10 to 15. I've worked with teams that are larger, but mostly in, in teams that are small, you want that very close relationships. You want people that are uh, not necessarily they will. They, they, my question is not, will you stay over the weekend? I respect the hell out of people who have, uh, and I've hired people that say the weekend is off limits for me. But if there is a crisis, how would you react? Would you prioritize, let's say, your time or do you prioritize the team? And mm. it's not about the company as well. I, want, I don't want their loyalty to be for the company. I want their loyalty to be the team and to see their actions as impact on the team. So ah, if they're team-oriented, if they mm. are principled, um, and uh, if they deal with change regularly, these are the key things that I look for. And it depends. I, I, I have the conversation with them and I see how they respond and that kind of guides the uh, the interview i All thankfully right, i, I have uh, my co my co-founder who focuses on skill set background all of that so i don't get into those she kind of vets all right. of these by things. the time someone gets to you they have the yeah. skill set so you can really focus on character that's fantastic there's so, table stakes sometimes as well right i mean there's going to be you know just you know these are deal breakers right like you're gonna have the skill or not you're gonna be able to do the job right yeah and i, I mean that debate that goes on right now on linkedin kind of blows my mind like how Hire for character, train for skill. I got, there's a lot of nuance there. I want my doctor to be skilled. I don't care if my doctor's an asshole. I want that's the best brain surgeon on the face of the oh, earth, 100%, right? Yeah. Right. Like 100%. I mean, there's nuances there. So, so, so let's bring it home. And there's been a fantastic conversation. But before I get to it, what's what's on the horizon? What what excites you? You know what what gets at, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What's 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 you know? Let's talk. Let's talk high level. Let's talk technology. Like. What's yeah. super cool about like AI? I mean, I think there's it's another kind of terminology that's getting thrown around. Plus, historically, AI has been around for a really, really long. Machine learning yeah, AI has been around for 100%. a long time. Yeah. 
And it's just becoming to the forefront because of chat GPT and how do you mm -hmm. use it? And everyone's saying, oh, you know, AI is going to take your job. No, no. The person that knows how to use AI <clears> is going to take your job. Yeah. Let's be very clear about that one. But what's exciting you these days technology-wise? Um, definitely the change in the landscape of technology, not just AI. There's a ton of revolutions like happening behind like the quantum computing revolution, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, space tech, all of that. There's, I mean, we're discussing already, what is it? Was it NASA that discussing a mission to drill on a, on a, uh, a, a, a meteor? Uh, uh, like these are, these are kind of, uh, these kind of things are, uh, are insane to think about because 20 years ago, these were kind of science fiction, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of things that you can do. So I think the changes in technology and the rapid change is exciting and also and also scary a little bit. Like there, there is definitely something to be kind of worried about. So that is exciting. The ability to use it and to have access. I mean, we've heard, for example, uh, we've heard about AI before, as you said, but it was out of reach for almost everyone. Now you you can, you know, you don't even have to know in the latest kind of open AI uh, uh, dev day before Sam Altman was kicked out. Um, he the the thing that they introduced is that you don't even have to know programming in order to no. build an API to use AI I, to build something for your website or a, a software, which is fascinating because fascinating. that means anybody, anybody with an idea has no I, has less barriers, let's say, between the idea and execution, which is I, fascinating. So I saw these this, are the things that excite me. I saw this the other day. I saw the ability to literally draw with your mouse a website with functionality and have it coded automatically. With the chat GPT intelligence, as far as like wording and, and other insights to it, I'm like, I, I can't wait to play with these things. I mean, listen, there, there's, there's evil and there's for good and there's for evil, right? Like you think about like all the deep fakes and, you know, the deep fake, you know, for politics and media and world discourse, right? Like it's, it's fascinating. It's scary. Like with any technology, I mean, do you think, Hussein, do you think that, you know, is it going to be, are we going to be in Terminator 2? Are the, the machines taking over the world? I mean, we, do we really have to be scared? Honestly, I don't know. I think the biggest fear that we have right now, the the closest fear, uh, definitely there's a fear of the biggest fear is, let's say, using AI for weapons, uh, using AI to, as I said, replace people without giving them, uh, you know, a kind of a, a ramp, let's say, on and off. These are the things because those are those are changes that can be kind of world global and and because the world is so interconnected it will have a ripple effect and definitely a lot of people will get hurt the solution for or let's say part of the solution a big part of the solution is learn i think whatever is going to happen with the world the the probably the best path forward or let's say one of the core steps of the best path for path forward is jump in and learn don't play around mess around uh, that's how I got into blockchain. I just attended a workshop. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is fascinating. And I started mm. learning. I started seeing videos. And the more I read, the less I learned. concept yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. So just start learning. And I think that will not only reduce the level of fear, but at least it helps you to appreciate. And I think that's what's missing. A lot of people are kind of separated and they see the movement of technology and they kind of, they're a viewer, only a viewer or, you know, just a part, uh, they're not get a involved. participant. So get involved, step in, do something, play around. I think that would, will change. But definitely there is a lot to be, the most I think scared uh, I'm, I'm about is uh, that people are not as involved and, and we are more kind of sitting aside, watching the world move forward and a lot of people will be left behind. And I think that's scary because people who are left behind 
tend to react differently, tend to feel ignored and and we unless we find a place for them, we we lose a lot of people to you oh. know being left behind and that's not good. That's a that's a great <clears> tip there. So let's let's bring it home here. Um Hussein, what is what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day? Um always uh I would say always the best piece of advice from my co-founder is always deliver on your word. <clears throat> Whatever you say, I think what, probably one of the things that completely shifted my uh, my work ethic and how I do things, even though I thought I was principled before, but I, you know, I was kind of the person that justified, you know, oh, this didn't deliver because of that. <clears throat> oh, this happened. Making excuses. And my my uh, my partner said, no excuses. I said, no excuses. I said, no excuses. Just at least acknowledge. You can apologize. Of course, shit is going to go down. Right. But don't make excuses for it because that means that the next time you're not going to work as hard or deliver. And that means you take your word less seriously. If, mm-hmm. if you take your word less seriously, everybody will take your word less seriously. So that's probably the <sighs> best piece of advice that changed completely my, my work ethic and how I, I go about doing things. And I love it, man. And I wish just more people would take it seriously and stick to their word, right? Like once you break your word, like where does bond? I mean, it's like the oldest, you know, handshake means everything. And your word should mean everything. Indeed. Because if you don't have your word, you don't have anything else. I could, have, I could be stripped of all my assets, my, my material possessions, but I got my word. And if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So let's bring it home here. Last but not least, you know, you look back on, on your life and you look back at the, the tough times and struggling when you really had to pull yourself up and, and harness that inner tenacity that I truly believe that every great entrepreneur has, that characteristic of tenacity. And in the same breath, Hussein, you look now with gratitude, appreciation for this life that you built, these companies that you built, living a life of purpose, driven by a mission based on your passions providing for your family, the ability to take this trip to tomorrow with your son to Japan and have this incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience with him. What keeps you focused? What is your beacon? Hussein Halak, what is your North Star in life? I think my love for my partner and my family is my North Star. I will do, <clears throat> this is the thing I will do the most of. And my love for the rest of the world is driven and inspired by my love for them. So I want to create a better world for my, my family so I go about doing that with people around. And that's why I give to the community. And I forget about taking out because I feel that I'm giving to my partner. I feel I'm giving to my kids in a non-direct way. And I think seeing the world in that way is the thing that uh, got me to where there I am. There you go. There you go. Love it. Fantastic conversation. Hussein, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Um, everyone, please check out Momentable.art, M-O-M-E-N-T-A-B-L-E.art where you can find some free art. You check it all out and see what's going on over there. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect? Where could they learn more? Uh, search Hussein Halak or go to HusseinHalak.com. Search me on LinkedIn, uh, Hussein at Momentable.art. And I would love to hear from you. And thank you very much, Adam, for a brilliant conversation. Great question. I had a thank blast. You. Awesome. Good stuff. I certainly appreciate you and your time. Uh, please hang with me for one moment here as we sign off. Everybody out there, if this show meant something to you, if it resonated, leave a review, rating, goes a long way. Sharing means caring. Certainly appreciate it. You can find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at, at NHP Talent. You know where to find us? Connect. Remember, be good to yourself, be better to others, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. 
to join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.